We could create a whole world in the mind of the listener simply by using sound effects. Ron Wolfley. Thud, 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 thud. <laughs> Boomerang. Boom. Luke Lipinski. Huh. Wolf and Luke. Arizona Sports. The local sports leader. Hour number two of the show, live from the Auction Community Studios and the Phoenix Suns. Wolf are finally playing a home game tonight. It's uh, This is not like that Coyote streak where they went five weeks without playing a home game, but it's, it's been a while, and it uh, it feels like it. They are back, yes, though. Last home game was two days before Christmas, and uh, they have played six on the road. They went one and five. They will host the Miami Heat tonight. At uh, 8 o'clock at Footprint Center. Miami, very similar to the Suns, where you look at them and you're like, all right, this is a good team. And they're one game above 500. Yeah. So, I know. Kind I of have the exact same record. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Two, two teams that are, I think, better than their record indicates. It's not like the Suns are suddenly going to be healthy for this game tonight. But um, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm still... Still keeping an eye on Cam Johnson because it is now, it's over two months since his last game, and I believe his actual surgery was November 8th, so we're almost two months from that now, too. But uh, either way, they're not going to have him against Miami tonight unless something crazy happens. This is James Jones talking about the tough stretch the Suns have gone through lately. It's tough, right, because, you know, you expect to go out and, and compete, and I know we will, um, but the lapses and the slow starts, um, just the holes that you can't dig yourself out of. Um, we've had some wild swings. We've had some really high moments and some really low moments. And, and the only thing you can take away from that is that, you know, you, you have to be better. You have to be consistent. And uh, you have to compete at all times. And I, I've, I've seen instances where we haven't done that consistently. And that's, that's what frustrates me. Um, but the NBA gives you an opportunity every other day to come back and bounce back. And so I'm hopeful tonight you know, that we'll step up to the challenge at the end of a road trip and, um, and and have some success against a really good Cleveland team. Yeah, um, of course he was talking about the Cleveland Cavalier game. That was going into the Cavs you know, game. Just listening to James Jones speak right there, it just makes me think, when I think of tonight's opponent for um, the Suns, I think of culture, man. I really do. The cult. That is culture, especially in the association. I think of the Miami Heat when I think of culture. I think of the Phoenix Suns from last year, of course, when we think of culture. I think of the Boston Celtics when I think of culture. I, I, I think of these teams that have this personality and we know what to, what to expect from them when you're going to play them. And when I think of the Miami Heat in the Eastern Conference, I think of a, aggressive physical team as a matter of fact go back to the game the suns played against the miami heat i forget when that was but they lost that game by one one thirteen to one twelve yes as a matter of fact exactly you, that's you. you just had that ready to go boom you had that ready yeah right? but you remembered it right that, i okay, didn't remember great. the exact final score <laughs> yes one thirteen to one twelve and if you go back and you watch that game the calls that were made against the Phoenix Suns and the calls that weren't made against the Miami Heat in that game, that was one of the few games that I was like, what? That was, what? That was the game. I See, I there's been a few of these. The, the total free throw attempts in that game 
were 25 for Miami and four for the Suns. <laughs> okay, now listen, that, that is the way I remembered it. It, yeah. was, it was lopsided, yet at the same time, I remember Miami looking so much more aggressive, so much more assertive, so much more physical, and yet here they weren't getting calls, and the Suns were getting called. Uh, I... To me, it was it blew my mind, and yet it made me think for the first time. Well, what is what is Miami known for? Being a very physical, aggressive team—that's what they're known for. And you know what? Maybe the officials, once again, going in there, said, "Well, you know, wow, they're they work hard, they're aggressive, they're a physical team. We know that. No, that wasn't a foul. That's just who they are." Yeah. You know, I mean, honestly. Well, I think it's undeniable at this point that there's something the Suns are not doing physically that is 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 why the other team consistently shoots more free throws than them in a game, and that's that's fine. Like that's something they're going to have to figure out. But I'll I'll say this again: unless DeAndre Ayton and Devin Booker are running around the floor with baseball bats, swinging them at people, I don't know how you justify as an official, walking off the court and being like, we did a good job tonight. One team shot 25 free throws, and the other team only shot four. You gave a team six times as many free throws as the other team, sure. plus one. You didn't do your job. You did a horrible job that night. Yeah, There's, there's just no way around it. But, Luke, um, the Miami Heat, they're a physical team. They play defense. This is what they do. So this they can do whatever they want, and I, the Suns can't I'm, do anything. I'm just yes. saying, you know what, honestly, I, I think there's a reputation there. I'm not saying that 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 um, suddenly they're not fouls that are being committed by the Miami Heat. They are, in my opinion. But I, I honestly think it gets into the subconscious mind of officials and referees when they call games against the Miami Heat. They're well, you know, this is who they are. I mean, I, we could we'd be blowing the whistle on every possession if, in fact, that's what we did. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I think it, it seeps into the subconscious, man. And the the officials. The referees, they're human, just like anybody else. Well, and it's not the only time it's happened to the Suns this season, which is why at some point here the Suns have to figure out a way to close that gap. Because when you have one team shooting 25 and the other two shooting four, and it's happened a few times this season, and you've been on the wrong side of it every time, yes, there's some poor officiating in there, but you also need to do what you can do to close that gap. Because in the playoffs... You don't want to be the team that feels like you lost because the officials gave the other team 20 more free throws than you in a game. Yes. You can only control it so much, but I mean, what? You're supposed to control what you can control. I feel like you can control a little bit of it. You have to, you have, what, three and a half months to change your reputation around the league. And and not that you should change how you play basketball to the point where you're not as good of a team just to try to appease the officials. But also, we got to deal in the reality here of, if things keep going the way they're going, the Suns are going to be at a huge disadvantage in the playoffs with, with, with some of these officials. Maybe not all of them, but with some of them. Because that's happened at least, off the top of my head, I can think of three games, where it's been so lopsided that if you didn't watch the game, you would think the Suns were just out there just committing a foul constantly up and down the floor. So what do you want to see? What do you want to see tonight from the Phoenix Suns? I, I want to see some physicality. I want to see the resolve. I want to see them compete against the Miami Heat. They're home, of course. This is going to be great. But um, I want to see all of that juice centered on competing with the Miami Heat and how they play and engaging that essence 
of being physical and playing some tough defense right now because you know you're going to get that from the Heat. Even though they're 20 and 19 as well, you know you're going to get that. Are you going to compete against that? Will the Heat bring out the best in what the Suns have to run out onto the floor? That's what I want to know. I think the Suns just need a just a good win at home. I know that sounds simple, but you're you're finally back at home for the first time in a couple of weeks and it just the last month plus hasn't felt like the Phoenix Suns. It hasn't felt like this era of Suns basketball. It almost feels like this era is ending or it's on hiatus or something. And it's not like going out and winning one game tonight suddenly cures everything, but a nice just win over a quality opponent at home, get your fans back into it. Just like you're saying, be physical, go out there, play some strong defense. Don't start the game by scoring 11 points in the first quarter or 14 in the first quarter. Like actually score in the first quarter. You're allowed to do that. Uh, more from James Jones on Burns and Gambo talking about uh, the team and and how they haven't been on the same page defensively. We just haven't been on the same page. You know, we've had instances where uh, we're not finishing possessions and, you know, we're allowing allowing players to get to their strengths. And we all know uh, this league in this league, players are too good if you allow them to get to their comfort zone. Um, we've had some games where we've been extremely disruptive and, and we've had extreme game plan discipline and we've had success against a team like Memphis. And then we've seen other games like teams against like Houston where we just did not lock in. And, you know, so that for us is the challenge. Like there's no fix um, outside of game plan discipline and, and, and competing and, and, and making shots and missing shots. That's a part of the league. You know, we have streaks where we make shots. The opponent does as well. Um, but we just have to be better. We just have to be better across the board. Man, it just, you know what, I, I think about that. And I listen to James Jones right there. And it makes me think you went out against the Cleveland Cavaliers and you out rebounded the best rebounding team in the association. Rebounding has been an issue for the Phoenix Suns. I think we'd all say, yeah, absolutely. We all know that. And yet you went out there. You you cannot tell me. You cannot tell me that Monty Williams and his staff weren't all over the guys in regard to what they had to do to win this game. And that was rebound. We have to we have to compete on the glass. We have to do it on both ends of the floor. Rebound that basketball. I knew. I knew you were going to do this. Rebound that stuck basketball. In my head for 24 hours. Uh, you had to. Um, <laughs> well, it worked the other but, day. They did rebound that basketball. You know, when you think about it, too, rebounding, it, is that difficult? Is that is that something where effort really pays off when you try to rebound a bat? Yes! It's the definition of it, if you ask me. Do it. Compete. Well, that's the key. Can they carry over with the, the good from that game against Cleveland the other night? Because there was some good, but you lost the game. So if you go out there tonight and that good's not there and you lose again, then that kind of everything you did against Cleveland was a waste. If that builds into something that leads to a win tonight, though, okay, maybe you're starting to see something. Coming up next, we're going to get, uh, we, we've got more positive news surrounding DeMar Hanlon. We'll get you up to date on all of that next. It's honestly pretty incredible. It's Wolf and Luke in Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Football Friday with Wolf and Luke. Alert, alert, alert. Presented by 72 Souls. 51, 51, let's go. Let's go, here we go. Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, good news out of, I guess this would be out of Cincinnati, but out of Buffalo. Um, Regarding Tamar Hamlin, this this is is crazy, Wolf, to to think that this all just happened less than four days ago. 
And now you have this update from Ian Rappaport. Yeah, and it has been building toward this. It, nothing but good news and good news and good news and then even better news. This morning, the breathing tube has been out this morning. He has spent the morning. DeMar Hamlin has FaceTiming various teammates, many, many teammates, people he's known uh, from his youth, people he's known growing up, friends. He has spent basically the entire morning on FaceTime. And now my understanding is right now, guys, there is a team meeting involving the Buffalo Bills, DeMar Hamlin, on FaceTime addressing them for the very first time. This has to be emotional. It sounds amazing. I wish we could all listen in. Uh, we will all have to imagine instead and then uh, listen to what the Bills tell us later. But, uh, but truly an incredible scene and a big development uh, for the Bills' safety. Wow. <laughs> Seriously, I love to say it. That is, that is so awesome. When I heard that report, of course, earlier, it just it warmed the heart that are not my brother's. To know that this young man um, is is doing so well, what a relief that is to us. Can you imagine to his teammates what this is like I, right I now? I cannot imagine being in that room and Sean <laughs> McDermott being like, wait, I have a FaceTime for everybody. And he puts that on there. And I, I, look, I, we throw around incredible and unbelievable a lot in sports. But this, this, is, this is like... This happened this week. This happened three and a half days ago. Like, I know we were all thinking positively, right? Yeah, putting the positive sure. vibes out there. And, and obviously it, it, it helped. But, man, I thought, you know, I was hopeful, like, maybe we'll get a good update on, on, on DeMar Hamlin, you know, maybe next week or something. Maybe he's talking to his teammates over FaceTime. That is unbelievable to me. It is. It is so encouraging for everybody out there, all the prayers that have been offered up for DeMar Hamlin, of course. And thank you, Lord God, for the healing of this young guy and the fact that he is doing as well as he is right now. It's just a stunning thing, and it's one of the reasons why the Buffalo Bills, at least on my power poll, the Buffalo Bills have become the favorite to win the Super Bowl because of this situation that has happened. This is this is to see DeMar Hamlin recover the way that he is in the way that this must encourage and focus and remind every guy that is inside that locker room who is his teammate. Are you going to go out there and are you going to play as hard as DeMar played and as hard as DeMar has fought for his life? Are you going to do it? <laughs> it's one of these things that galvanize a locker room, galvanize a team. I would not be surprised. It doesn't mean you're going to go out and play perfectly. It doesn't. But ultimately, it may give you the edge in the end. I want to make sure we get this guy's name out there because I feel like we live in an era where we talk about the idiots of the world and put their name out there. Denny Kellington, the Bills trainer, is the guy that basically like saved DeMar Hamlin's life on the field with everybody watching. He recognized he was in a life or death struggle, yeah. not an injury situation, a life or death. So I just feel like the name Denny Kellington should just be out there like every 10 minutes today. Because yes. that's unbelievable what that guy did. You, we were talking about this yesterday with Lorenzo Alexander when he was in here. And, and I think and you kind of led to this, Wolf, like if you're a trainer on a team, you're trained to handle stuff, right? But you're yeah. trained to handle an injury. And at that yeah. moment, 30 seconds earlier, he's just watching the game. He's watching a game between two teams that are two of the best teams in the NFL. And then all of a sudden it's, hey, there's an injury. Yeah. Or, hey, this injury looks bad. Oh, you have to save this guy's life with everybody watching. With every all of his teammates and all of the Bengals watching and 25 million people watching on Monday Night Football. Yes. And he 
did. <laughs> What's amazing about it too, and I don't, you know, I don't know, you know, I'm not a trainer, of course. I, I have no idea what it is that I'm talking about here, based on Orleans. But at the same time, when you run out onto the field after you saw him collapse, I, I thought he passed out. That's what I thought he did. Thought he passed out. Yet they recognized the fact early, early enough. This man is in trouble. No pulse. They recognize he wasn't breathing. You know, again, it's kind of hard to actually see that. Of course, underneath all that gear, the helmet on, mouth yeah. guard, and, you know, the shoulder pads. and it's the whole chaos thing. on the football field they, in general. Man, they identified he was in distress. And suddenly they, man, it, it's, an, it's just an amazing thing. You know what it makes me think of, Basin Onions? It makes me think of our first responders, man, once again. And how much we owe all of these men and women for what they do for our community and for us. Man. Uh, Josh Allen spoke to the media yesterday with Sean McDermott, and he said what, you know, is, um, is, is on everybody's mind, very emotional week in Buffalo. I don't typically like using emotion to answer questions, uh, but... Like the the scene just replays over and over in your head, and there's again, it's hard to answer that question and actually describe how you know I felt, how my teammates felt in that moment. It's something we'll never forget. But to know that Demar is he's doing okay, and I know there's still a lot of a lot of things and, and stuff that he has to process and continue to go through um, to get back to to himself. We're just, again, we heard that news this morning, and there's nothing that that could have been told to us to bring our day down. You know, we're extremely happy for him and his family. Um, You know, we just want to, we just want to love up on him. You know, so the next chance we get, I don't know when it's going to be. If we if we get to see him anytime soon, man, it's going to be awesome. I don't think Josh Allen has to say anything. I, I mean, he's. He's the one, at least for me, that when I saw his face, I was like, okay, something's up. You know, on TV, you couldn't, probably thankfully, couldn't see everything. But you could see Josh Allen's reaction. Yeah. Yeah. It's just listening to Josh Allen right there, man. It, I, I was suddenly 27 again, and I was back inside a team meeting and with my brothers, whom I love to this day and the memory of them to this day, though I don't see them for decades and haven't. Um, their memory and who they are right now. If I saw them tomorrow, we'd go right back to suddenly 1989. Go right back to that year. Go right back to 86. Go right back to 90. Go right back. It's the bond that you share and, um, listening. It's one of the, it's one of the reasons why you can fight all you want in training camp and you fight your teammate and everything else. And it never matters. You never remember that. It, all it does is actually draw you closer together the vast majority of the time inside the locker room. And it's because of the bond that you share, just like Josh Allen is intimating right here. I thought it was interesting, too, that a doctor was asked and he said, not only the lights are on. But Damar is home. <laughs> you <laughs> know what I line. mean? Yeah. That is a great line right there. And um, 
<laughs> Thank you, God. I, I think this is important to play this one, too. This is Josh Allen right at the end of the press conference. Because the other guy, not nearly on the same level as DeMar Hamlin, but the second guy you worry about, at least for me coming out of that game, Wolf, would be T. Higgins, right? Because T. Higgins is in this really weird spot where it was not like some crazy, dirty hit, just a football move, and then you got to kind of like, I I can't even imagine what that guy's been feeling. Uh, Josh Allen went out of his way to step into the press conference and address this. I do want to say one more thing. Um, and I, I do, I haven't reached out to, to T., I hope that, you know, he got some relief today, and I don't know. I, I saw some stuff on Twitter, and um, people should not be attacking him whatsoever, and I'm glad that DeMar's family came out and said that, and I hopefully he found some some relief today because, again, that's that's a football play, um, and I hope that he doesn't hold that upon himself because, again, there's nothing else that he could have done in that situation. So I uh, just wanted to say that, too. That's awesome. How about that? That's the guy Josh Allen has become. <laughs> like that's the sort of that that's not that's not leadership in the fourth quarter of a football game. Like that's being a leader in real life right there, Josh Allen. That's yes. that's because I mean, seriously, I, I didn't see that. I, I don't doubt that it happened. I'm sure it did. People there there's a that subset on what, Twitter that's on like Twitter? Oh, Are there's, you kidding there's me? no repercussions for what I type. I'll just type whatever I want. I don't know how, even if you think that way, you're gonna attack T. Higgins after after Everything that happened this week. I still maintain that with everything that, that happened on Monday, the way it was handled on the field by the players, the coaches, obviously the trainers, the doctors when he got to the hospital, uh, even the broadcasters at the game. Like I just, I feel like everybody handled a truly horrible situation about as well as you possibly can. And that's not like it's all resolved all of a sudden, but that, that's, that's pretty big good news two days in a row now on Hamlin. Man, I, I just the fact, ladies and gentlemen, that this guy is FaceTiming his team. They, there could not have been a dry eye based on Ian's inside that Bills meeting room. No. There could not I, have I, been. I can't imagine the reaction. Oh my goodness, it, it puts the biggest lump into my throat just thinking of it. That had to be healing and also just incredibly joyous. Text us your thoughts to the FanDuel text line at 620-620 right now. When we come back, what should the Cardinals be expecting from the 49ers on Sunday? We're going to go behind enemy lines and talk to 49ers reporter Cam Inman from the San Jose Mercury News. Next, it's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. Arizona Sports, Wolf and Luke. This is Behind Enemy Lines. Gathering intel on this week's Cardinals opponent from inside enemy base camp. Brought to you by Canvas Annuity. Your retirement is on the clock. Execute your game plan today by visiting canvasannuity.com. Hi, we're heading into week 18. There are actually quite a few storylines heading into Cardinals 49ers. Obviously, the J.J. Watt angle. Who knows if this is Cliff Kingsbury's last game as Cardinals head coach. But on the San Francisco side of things, their storyline is they can still get the number one in the NFC. Joining us right now on the Arizona Sports Line is Cam Inman, 49ers reporter for the San Jose Mercury News. Cam, thank you for the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Good morning. Uh, I guess let's just let's start with that. The fact that the 49ers are in a position to get the number one seed and they need a little bit of help from, from Philadelphia or I guess the Giants is a better way to put it. But uh, but how, how much of a focus is there on that right now? 
Yeah, I think it's it's incentive enough where they want to finish with one of the top two seeds, right? They're right now seeded number two. So they know if they win, they'll be a top two seed and, you know, get two home games where they take care of business first time. But, um, yeah, the fact that the number one seed could still be in play because Philly's kind of doing a face plant here, and it depends whether their quarterback can kind of rally around a good defense in Philly against a bad Giants team where they're not expected to play most of their starters, I would think. So, yeah, I mean, the Niners are going full speed ahead, um, saying that they'll play their, their guys all the way through. Uh, that Kyle Shanahan doesn't want to take the you know the foot off the gas and kind of keep going. It's a team that's won nine nine games in a row here, so they want to keep that momentum going into the playoffs and, and get moving. Yeah, there's no doubt about it, Cam. You watch it, man. I love watching the team play because they're a very, very physical team on both sides of the ball for the most part. When you talk about nine games in a row now, you guys have a great start, but when you talk about nine games in a row, why have they won nine games in a row, in your opinion? I mean, it's a combination of things. Obviously, their defense is playing really well. They didn't play so great against the Raiders uh, last Sunday and had to go to overtime to win that game 37-34. But the defense and Nick Bosa, Nick Bosa should be the defensive player of the year. He leads the league in sacks and quarterback hits. Um, and they have a good playmaker at every level of that defense. And Fred Warner's a linebacker, and they have some uh, decent defensive backs in Traverius Ward, Lufanga at safety. Um, but then you look on the offensive side, right? And it's how did they overcome? They're on their third quarterback here. You got Arizona native Brock Purdy going to be making a fifth start now um, in place of Jimmy Garoppolo, who got his job back after Trey Lance uh, broke his ankle in week two. So um, how do they weather that storm offensively? And I, I point to the midseason trade of getting Christian McCaffrey because uh, they haven't lost a game since McCaffrey became their starting running back. And, he does so much besides run the football. He's a great receiver, a great decoy. He, he, he's meant so much to that offense. And it's an offense that obviously has other talented guys around it with, you know, Debo Samuel. He got the best left tackle in football in Trent Williams, uh, maybe the best tight end in football in George Kittle. And you have a great offensive scheme that Kyle Shanahan has implemented here in year six. And uh, they're, they're rolling. They're putting up a lot of points. They're putting up. I think it's the second most points in franchise the franchise has had in probably the last 25 years. So they're scoring really well. And, and Purdy's been just, he's been, I don't want to say a revelation, but it's been a really fun surprise of how well he's been able to conduct himself uh, with a really high, stressful offense with a lot of motions and misdirections. And uh, it, just, it, it hasn't phased him, and it's really been fun to watch. Talking to Cam Inman of the San Jose Mercury News. Yeah, I want to follow up on that with Brock Purdy because he's obviously a local kid from here, went to high school in Gilbert at, at Perry High. Um, you know, I know this is probably the last thing on the 49ers' mind right now, but from the Cardinals' perspective, it's like, okay, who is who are they going to be dealing with in this division next year and going forward? Uh, what do you think he has done in terms of his, his future role with the 49ers if he keeps going on this path he's on right now? Yeah, and it's like up here in the Bay Area, I mean, the, the, the 49er world revolves around quarterbacks thanks to Joe Montana and Steve Young winning Super Bowls, and they haven't won one since those guys left. So it's, it's who's going to be the guy? Who's going to be the guy? And, you know, last year they spent so much of their draft equity to get Trey Lance, and we had nobody's seen enough of Trey Lance to form a definitive conclusion. So, you know, Lance will still be in the fold, but Brock Purdy, I mean, the way he's going, he's a starter going into next season in my opinion. And yes, that could change if, you know, he fizzles out here real fast in the playoffs and it's an open co- competition come training camp. 
Um, but I, I would expect it to be a two-quarterback race in camp, but I think everybody knows it's Brock Purdy's job to lose right now for how well he's played, the command he's shown. He's thrown two touchdown passes uh, in five consecutive games since Garoppolo went down with a broken foot. So, um, But it's more than that, and it's more than stats. He has this um, that innate, uh, the leadership ability, the it factor, the, the hard work, the head down. Um, he gets it, and then on the field he's a little bit more mobile and just kind of um, – He's got a great pocket presence, and he can shift his arm angle the way Mahomes has a little bit. We talked to him a little bit yesterday about his baseball background, that he played some baseball, but then he committed all the way to quarterback and midway through high school. Um, and obviously his dad played some minor league baseball too. So um, he's, just, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good kid. And the, the whole Mr. Irrelevant stuff, everybody loved to ridicule it for – I guess the first two starts, and then everybody forgot about it because now it's just like, okay, this kid's a, a legitimate NFL quarterback. doesn't matter where he was drafted. Yeah, Cam, you know, I believe that every team has a culture. Sometimes it's a good culture. Sometimes it's a bad culture. Um, Kyle Shanahan, does he have a culture, and if so, what is it? Kyle Shanahan, he's brought in a collection of guys that have kind of – They've been through the ups and downs together, right? So it's not like you, you brought in all these mercenaries to, to go on a Super Bowl title run. Uh, you brought in some of the best players at their positions, and you pay them as such. And so guys see that you get rewarded if you play at the top level. Um, really high-character guys. There haven't been off-field issues with this team outside of Ruben Foster the first year uh, in Shanahan's watch. And then, um, it, it's just, you know, he relates very well to players. And... I'm going to put a lot of it on him because he's changed his staff a lot in the last few years. His coordinators are getting hired to be head coaches in other places. Um, Kyle's very direct with them, but he's also a really good teacher and explains things so that no matter what position you play, he can he can explain it to you, not only your job, but everybody else's job, um, which really makes it so team-oriented. And, you know, like even before, like just for example, like before every practice, um, after they get done stretching, everybody shakes each other's hands, right? And then they form the huddle, and um, you know, then they go on their way. But it, it's a really good team camaraderie. It, it pulled them through last season when they they had to go on a big playoff push to finish the year just to qualify. And, and right now, you know, they started three and four this year. Uh, they're on their third quarterback, and they're on a nine game heater. Cam, we appreciate the time, man. Uh, thank you for everything. We'll talk to you again down the line. Thanks, Cam. Okay, have a happy New Year, too, guys. Not too late to say it. Thanks. All right, you too. That's, uh, that's Cam Inman of the San Jose cool. Mercury News. How about the stat on Christian McCaffrey? <laughs> he gets to San Francisco. By the way, it's the third time the Cardinals have to play Christian McCaffrey this year because they yeah. obviously got him in the Carolina game, too. When is it too late to actually say Happy New Year? Is it, uh, you know? I'd, like, I'd give it to the end of January. Really? Yeah. Why okay, not? cool. That's, you know, <laughs> uh, they haven't lost a game with Christian McCaffrey. That's awesome. Why? <laughs> it just seemed like such a an obvious move of yeah. just like, hey, go out and get Christian McCaffrey, and you'll be a lot better. And for especially reason, in that offense, right there. Yeah, that's true. San Francisco, he probably fits better there than than anywhere. That dual threat that's, offense. That's uh, that's frightening. All right, when we come back over to basketball, one national analyst says DA's trade value is only going down. You buy that? We'll get into it next. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. And Luke, Arizona Sports, the local sports leader. All right, back to basketball and the Suns. 
Hosting the Miami Heat tonight. We'll talk to Kevin Ray of Valley Sports in a little bit. Game day with K Ray, of course. But uh, this caught our attention courtesy of the Bill Simmons podcast. Bill Simmons, who started The Ringer. Rob Mahoney, who does a lot of the basketball stuff for The Ringer. They were talking yesterday, and the conversation went to DeAndre Ayton. So uh, this is what Rob Mahoney had to say about DA. This has been a really dispiriting season of watching DeAndre Ayton play basketball, to be totally honest with you. And that's mm. the, the problem with that is exactly what you outlined. Like, everyone in the league knows it. These teams are playing against him. They're seeing him kind of float through some games, like not really assert himself, like have opportunities where he could be dominant, but just doesn't. Everyone in the league is clocking the same things with about DeAndre Ayton that we are. And those teams are not going to give you tons of stuff in a trade for him. That's that's just really not going to happen. And yet Bridges is the guy you would probably want to hold on to. So I, I don't know how you navigate that. This comes up now because January 15th is when, at that point, DeAndre Ayton can be traded as long as he agrees to it to anybody except Indiana. And then, what is it? Yeah. July 15th, he could be traded to Indiana, too, and he doesn't have to agree to that a trade at that point. It's funny because Indiana seems to be the only team that, quote, wants him, yeah. and they're the only team you can't be traded to right now. <laughs> yeah, the first thought that I had was, shh. You know, I, You're I not helping that's, the trade That's value. number one right there. Um, number two is somebody's going to want DeAndre Aiden. Trust me on that. Oh, somebody, I'm sure a lot of somebody's going to want, want him, and they're going to want him bad. Enough to give up what you would deem acceptable um, in return? Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. Of course, it's all in the eye of the beholder, is it not? So it takes one team to fall in love with everything they're going to see with DeAndre Ayton and say, hey, we're going to get him. We're going to get him or I'm going Indiana to die, <laughs> metaphorically spit, right? Indiana I mean, already ruined everything in the, the summer by trying so, to do that. So, look, January 15th, it looms. There's no doubt about it. Um, I can't help but look at this from the Suns' perspective right now. Forget about another team out there. There's going to be another team that they're, they're going to want DeAndre Ayton. I don't think there's going to be a lack of interest in DeAndre Aiden. Um, having said that, I do believe that they're going to move him. <laughs> My gut feeling tells me they're going to move him, and they're going to move him because he's a mad king. Well, see, so a couple things. You think they're going to move him this year? Yeah. Because this is the stuff I wonder with all that Robert Sarver has to, you know, he can veto a trade or any sort of deal that you might be taking on money. I know it's going to be tough to take on money in a trade where you're dealing DA away because most of the money's going to him. But that's obviously another complicating factor. The other thing with this is for the most part, anytime the conversation has been, hey, are you willing to trade DeAndre Ayton? It was mostly through the scope of in a Kevin Durant deal, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, if if it's just, okay, we're going to trade DeAndre Ayton, Kevin Durant's off the table now. What, what do you want back for DeAndre Ayton? Because it can't just be a yeah. addition by subtraction sort of thing because he's too good for that. He, he's too good to just say, let's get rid of this guy because it'll help our team. Like, you've got to get something significant back, and I don't know what that significant piece is. I know. Because they've got to help you right man. now, too. Yeah, you, you, you would you think so. Maybe it's money. Maybe it's just, you know what, we'd like our money back. Um, Better not be that. No. I'll be livid well, if it's that. So we could give it to somebody else. Well, then you got to um, do that, like, the next day. Yeah. I, I Listen, I, I just, this. it's very disconcerting to me to listen to this. And the reason being is because we, we all have known this about DeAndre Ayton for a long time. Seriously. If you got right down to it, if you really watch DA play, 
You, you know, this is this this lack of of um, perceived effort. Um, it has been something that has, yeah, it's hurt DeAndre Ayton. I think on a league wide perspective and nationally, certainly. I thought the playoff run that ended against Milwaukee, I thought maybe he had turned a corner there because he was such a big part of that playoff run. And I remember going into last season thinking, okay, you know, and maybe that doesn't show up for 82 games with D.A., but in the big ones, he's going to be big now. And in the playoffs, he's going to be big. And again, it's not just him. That Dallas series was was a mess for everybody. But the fact that he couldn't take over that series in, in a way where yeah. he's number one overall pick on the guy and you're yeah. about to make him a max player. I mean, that's the thing. He's always been viewed through the lens of you're the number one overall pick ahead of Luka Doncic or you're a max player. The number one overall pick ahead of Luka Doncic isn't his fault. That's He played well in college. That's where he got drafted. So I'm able to put that behind me in, at this point of, of looking at D.A., but you want to be paid like a max player, you got to yes. be a difference maker, too. And you gotta, it's you got to be, be a max player. I think it's going to be tough to trade him and get legitimate value back. I I don't know if you're going to get... Yeah, I, I don't think you're going to get legitimate value back. I'm I don't not think sure I want to trade him, then. I, well, that's a situation that you're going to have to decide. But for me, um, I know what kind of... What I believe. If, in fact, my assumption is true, Basinonians, if it's true... That you've got a bunch of guys inside that locker room who love DA and they look at him and he's a great guy and he's a, he's a, he's a great teammate. We love him. Um, it just he's 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 a mad king. He, he doesn't bring all of that goodness that he's given, all of that talent. He doesn't give it to us on a nightly basis. Do you know what kind of damage I can do inside a locker room, my brothers? It can, because ultimately the the bottom line. Is you don't respect him. When you get right down to it, push comes to shove, you don't really respect him. Why? Because he doesn't give you everything that he is night in and night out. How how, how can you respect a guy who doesn't do that? Basinonians, right? How can you respect a guy who you work alongside who doesn't bring what they're capable of bringing Day after day after day. Ultimately, he may be the nicest guy in the office, and you wave to him, and you love him, and it's great, and you're nice to him, but ultimately, are you going to count on him? No, you're not. And a lot of times, that means you're not going to really, ultimately, when push comes to shove on the job, you're not going to respect him. And I think that's what could possibly happen, and that is the definition of a cancer inside a locker room. Uh, here's more from Simmons and Robert Mahoney just on where this this uh, team is going right now, direction-wise. Them not taking Halliburton was just a crippling decision. It really was. That's like one of the big draft what-ifs we've had in the last 10 years because he was sitting there and, and he'd already fallen a couple spots where it was like, whoa, why hasn't anyone taken Halliburton yet? And then he lands in that Phoenix spot and they take Jalen Smith through the last two years. But you just think that one decision, and they've made some good ones, that one decision, it's a completely different scenario right now than if Booker he, and Halliburton. He would change the complexion of their entire team. Tyrese Halliburton has become that guy who like there yeah. are GMs, assistant GMs, scouts who are going to be up at night for the next five years thinking like, why couldn't I convince the right people in the room? Even if you were a believer, like why couldn't you sell the right people that he was your guy? Cause he's proving to be exactly that kind of player, a guy who, who could be a perfect 
pivot piece for them, right? And going from you've been to the NBA finals, you've been a really good team, you've tried to make this work with, you know, a slightly more veteran core in Phoenix. Yeah. But now it's time for the Devin Booker, Tyrese Halliburton era. You know, like now we, we are transitioning to that version of our team. And that would have been a hell of a thing to watch. It's a shame we won't get to see it. Well, that was just frustrating. <laughs> Tyrese Halliburton, point guard, Iowa State. Halliburton isn't much of a scorer and doesn't turn any heads as an on-ball defender, but he does just about everything else you could ask for on a basketball court of your point guard. He's a strong catch-and-shoot threat from deep, consistently creates shots for his teammates, and thrives as a team defender. Halliburton is the best playmaker in the draft, showing a great understanding of how to read a defense and make the right play based on what they're giving him. Halliburton has a high floor as a guard who can play on or off the ball. Yeah, um, that feels just like piling on to even bring up Halliburton again. I know, and uh, I know you, you, you know my so feelings on that. Oh my and, goodness! Look, I um, I will say it's this: brutal. that uh, when when they took Aiton over Luca, that's going to go down in history as hey, you could have had Luka Doncic and you passed on him for DeAndre Aiton. But the Halliburton one is the one to me that was inexcusable because when they passed on him, yeah. everybody everybody in this building was like. What? Yeah. Why would you pass on him? Luke, can you play that cut again of Mahoney? Mahoney? Talking? Or do you, do you want eight, the Simmons on Aiden or Mahoney on no, Aiden? No, give me the Simmons on Aiden right okay, now. Okay, here we Is go. Okay? Yeah, here we go. I was a big Aiden defender. This season's been concerning. It reminds me of the centers I grew up with in the 80s, like the Joe Barry Carroll type guys, where it's like they're getting their stats. It's fine if you're not actually watching it. If you're watching it, like... There's something slightly missing, and it doesn't seem w- within the team. It doesn't seem awesome either. All right, where where's that panic button? Where is it? <laughs> there it is, right there. Oh my goodness! There it is. is he saying we have the panic button right here inside the studio, ladies and gentlemen? What are you saying, Bill? What are you talking about? Hit it again. <laughs> Oh, that thing is, the way he says panic makes me want to panic. Who says panic alert like panic alert? Panic alert, you big nerd. Oh, my goodness. Okay. What are you saying? Well, that was Bill? a lot of good news right Bill there. Bill Simmons, are you saying that uh, the word is out right now? I, I've said it for the longest time. Forget about the numbers with DA. It's not about the numbers. It's the how. Watch him do it. Watch how he does it. Um... That's that's why you've got Bill Simmons saying this. Well, it's the how, not the what. And I will say that I mean I'm still reeling from the Halliburton thing, but but <laughs> the, the, the Simmons Simmons is one of those guys that that was very you got to take Luca over Da. Like watch this before the draft, he was like I'm watching this guy in Europe, and this guy's amazing, but. He has always been a DA guy. Like, yeah. DA is going to be a really good yeah. player. So there's not there's no agenda. He's a Celtics fan. What does he care about the Suns? And he doesn't hide it. But uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> when when you have people nationally saying that, just don't think that if you want to trade DA, no other GM has watched him play. Yeah. Hopefully they watch him play on the right night. Just one more. Why does he say it like that? I don't know, but it's kind of cool, the panic button here on the Wolf and Luke show. Coming up next, we're going to take you through the top stories of the day with Wolf and Down Your Lunch. It's Wolf and Luke on Arizona Sports, the local sports leader.